0: Hey, good nurse bad Nurse family. I wanted to remind you before the show starts that if you are considering travel nursing, you can go to their website today at trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse, fill out a profile and start seeing opportunities right now all across the country. You can see what they pay, you can see the stipend, the hourly rate, all of that. Go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile today. You guys know how much I love nursing schools. Well, we have another one that wants us to tell you about their MSN and DNP Family Nurse Practitioner programs. Samuel Merritt University has been educating nurses for over 100 years, and right now they are offering tons of scholarship opportunities starting at $10,000 for both of these programs. You know, I'm in the midst of getting my MSN, and let me tell you, I wish I would have known about these scholarships when I first enrolled. Visit them at smumsn.com and show them how much you appreciate them for sponsoring our podcast. That's smumsn.com Hey everybody, this is Tina again with Good Nurse Bad Nurse. Welcome back for another week of nurses chatting about true crime stories and other news stories that we use to just spark some conversation about all sorts of things related to nursing and healthcare in general. Before I introduce this week's guest host, I would like to remind you guys that are living in Georgia and Tennessee and in nursing school that Good Nurse, Bad Nurse is going to be live at the Student Nurse Association conference for both of those states doing a live show there. And so if you're planning on going, sure and come by and say hello because I would love to get to meet some of you. It would be so much fun. So that's enough of that housekeeping stuff. You guys are in for a real treat this week because we're going to be discussing two very fascinating stories and tackling an extremely important subject. And I have a very special guest host this week to join in on the conversation, Justin Alves, a registered nurse with DKB. Med, a company that provides no-cost continuing medical education for healthcare providers. I'm so glad and excited to have you on the show, Justin. Welcome.
1: Thank you so much, Gina, for having me. I'm like so excited. I like can't even talk.
0: Well, I'm really excited to have you on this show. Just before we get started, tell our, our listeners what kind of nursing that you're doing at the moment.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I say all the time, I'm an HIV nurse by training. I'm an addiction nurse by necessity. And I'm a nurse educator out of obligation. So essentially, I've been taking care of patients living with HIV or with addiction since I started out as a youngin. And I feel now like it's my obligation to teach other people about like why we should care for sort of this population of society and, you know, how to do it the right way. So I'm really excited to be here to talk about these good and bad sort of stories with you today.
0: Yeah. And I'm really excited to have you on sort of this expert to talk about these things, because these are all subjects that we have tackled Here on Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. And I'd love to have you here to chime in when we get to talking about these things. So, you work as a nurse, but then you have this other role using your nursing knowledge there at DKB Med. What do you do there?
1: Yeah. So, I have a really cool position at DKB Med where I'm sort of this HIV specialist and I get to be a program director for the eHIV review, which is an online journal review of really important articles about certain topics in HIV. So, I get to help. Think about like, what should those topics be? Who should the speakers be? And then edit sort of all of the the writing that happens with it, uh, which is really fun. It's different. It's not bedside nursing, right? So it's a nice little change of pace for me. There's no wiping involved. There's no hand washing involved, though I do wash my hands obsessively. And so it's a nice change of pace.
0: That sounds really fascinating. I know a lot of my listeners love to hear all the different types of nursing jobs that are out there, and so I love to have you on here. And just uh, so I know, people are going, "Ooh, that sounds like a fascinating job." I guess we can get started on our first story. This is a bad doctor story. I know our listeners are going to be shocked that I would be talking about a bad doctor. We never do that. Such a so refreshing. Because- <laughs> I'm a little sarcastic sometimes. <laughs> you
1: no, know, I'm from Boston. That is that is literally a love language here. And so <laughs> feel free to continue with the sarcasm.
0: Okay. Oh, well, this is a really fascinating story. I just could not pass it up. And it fits in so perfectly with this topic that we're going to tackle today. It involves a famous Hollywood actor and is just full of all sorts of unbelievable details. You guys are really going to be blown away by this story. So this is the story of Doctor Sam Chachawa. I have no idea if I s- pronounce that correctly. I swear, no one with a name Smith or Jones has ever done anything bad <laughs> ever, because they're never. I every week after week, I'm just like, I don't know if I pronounce that right, I don't, and finally, I just go like, forget it. I know I didn't say it right. Move on. So anyway, when I say Doctor Sam Chachawa or however you say his name, can you guys hear my my air quotes? Because uh, let me just tell you. I'm using that word quite loosely. In fact, we may just drop that and not use it anymore. But because he's not exactly a doctor, he is a trained medical doctor, but he's not licensed in Australia or the United States. He calls himself an alternative medical practitioner in Australia. And Charlie Sheen says that he thinks he should be arrested if he tries to enter the U.S. again, which that sort of drops a little hint as to the Hollywood actor that is involved in our story. So, Sam Chachua's father Isaac allegedly died of bone cancer, and so he claims that the reason that he went into medicine is because he, seeing his father suffer. That's pretty common. I feel like um, a lot of people do decide to go into healthcare for that reason. He was last known to be in Mexico and hasn't really published anything into the mainstream or been active on social media lately. And his website is no longer active. So we'll get into this story and all of this craziness that the so-called doctor did. But I was wondering, Justin, as someone who's done research on this topic, were you familiar at all with the story and all his crazy shenanigans? I mean,
1: so yes, I was. And I mean, already in like your little intro there, like we have Mexico, we have Charlie Sheen, we have bone cancer. You know, it's going to be a good story, right? I actually lumped this person and I'm not going to call the doctor. I think he's a quack, right? But I'm going to lump this person in with a few other very famous HIV providers who, you know, are like these HIV denialists. And I think this conspiracy theory that happens around HIV and what it is and does it cause AIDS? And we see it with COVID too, right? Like who made this? Do I have a microchip from your vaccine? And I think really trying to think about like, why does that happen? And I I think we'll get into it with the story. And I think this is somebody who really preys on people's insecurities and, and fears. And I think that comes to light as we hear more of the details. So I will throw it back to you. But, you know, I'm sure with your COVID working experience, you've had similar sort of happenings.
0: Definitely. It's so similar. When I'm reading all of the research about this, I was sort of feeling that way. Some of the similarities, they were very striking, just kind of reading through all of this stuff. So this so-called Dr. Sam first made a name for himself in the late 90s when he claimed to have found effective therapies for cancer and AIDS, which right away, I just immediately am just sick to think that this person, this opportunist, you know, is just preying on very desperate people. It's disgusting. But he used induced remission therapy or IRT vaccines. He claimed that cancer tumors shrank using this his therapy and AIDS patients saw their viral counts shrink and T helper count go up. However, despite several publications promoting the, quote, medical genius of this so-called Dr. Sam, some of his colleagues started to have concerns over the validity of his therapies. He claimed that his therapies had preliminary test efficacy greater than 99% against cancer and AIDS. I mean, if you stop and think about implications there, I, it's kind of unbelievable, really, when you stop really stop and think about it.
1: Whenever you think about stuff like that, too, though, I always think about like we could very effectively get Rid of someone's HIV or get rid of someone's cancer, but they'd probably mm-hmm. die in the process. And so, like, it's like, what are you really fixing the problem if you have someone who mm-hmm. dies from your therapy? Right.
0: Right. That's, I had a, a doctor say, I was talking about some alternative therapies that are kind of out there right now for COVID. And he said, you know, I could pour bleach down, you know, in, into your veins and it would kill COVID. I guarantee it. <laughs> it would also kill you. Yeah. So, <laughs> Just because someone, something is effective doesn't mean that it's the best thing to do. So I kind of I get where you're going with that. His claims started gaining attraction in the late 90s to early 2000s. There's even an early internet website that shows pictures or x-rays of his miraculous treatment supposedly working in patients. He claimed to get results in weeks or even days In patients working with cancer or AIDS, cancer patients would allegedly see major tumor shrinkage and AIDS patients would see drastically reduced viral counts. But the only evidence of that was those X-ray images and then some anonymous case studies from a handful of patients. So he had not published any peer-reviewed studies and any publications that did write about him only referenced his work, which was focused on very few patients and wasn't verified. So, Justin, what do you think about research that's not peer-reviewed?
1: I mean, obviously, right? Like having worked in the fields I work in, I'm all about the peer review. But I also think that there is a, a marketing piece that needs to that we do really a bad job of in medical science. That we like run all these fancy studies, and I can prove all sorts of different things. But if I can't communicate that well right, then I really, I've I've failed, right, to help people. And I think that's one of the things about this SAM and some of the other HIV denialists is that they're really charismatic and they offer this hope to people that in medical science, we don't ever like definitively say one thing or the other, right? Like we're like, well, maybe if, and I think that well, maybe if makes people nervous, right? They want definitive answers. And so when someone like this guy comes along and says, I got the cure for you. Everybody is so excited, right? And I think we again to make that analogy to COVID, we've seen that with COVID, right? All these people got on the like the bandwagon with these experimental drugs, and you were like, "What are you? Who said to buy hydroxychloroquine? Who? Where was that study? We didn't really explain that well to people." And then we were, you know, fighting with patients in the units.
0: Yes, and all it takes is for a scientist to come out and say, "Okay, everyone, this is." This is what we know now. And then a few weeks later to come out and say, oh, we thought we knew that. But now we're finding this. And then suddenly all these people just go, well, see, you don't know. And it's just if you believe in science or you you follow science, you know that you're always questioning everything. You don't ever believe anything 100%. You're just like, well, this is what we know right now. And then we're always trying to fight that, right? We're always trying to prove that that's not right, because that's what science is. You're always trying to find the better answer or the best answer. And you just assume that everything you know is, is not quite right, but you're, you're just always looking. But it's the best that we know. And that's, that's what science is. But it's really hard for people, I think, to wrap their minds around that. And when they hear all these conflicting statements from people who know what they're doing. It's something you got to buy into. And I I feel like what you're saying is exactly right. It is about educating people to understand what science is and what evidence-based practice is and what peer-reviewed is and what research really, really is. Research is not, you know, looking on TikTok for the latest, you know, that's not really research. Facebook
1: researchers, right? And like really trying to figure out like, where is your information coming from? I think the other thing, that is really interesting is, is the sort of stigma that's involved with HIV too, I think has a lot to do with what gets published and what gets researched. And so I think it's very, very easy for people to talk about an HIV research cure, right? Everybody wants to talk about a cure to get rid of this disease. That's this like stigmatizing, awful illness. Not too many people want to talk about like using condoms for anal sex. Like when you get into mm-hmm. it and you're like, let's talk about how you have sex and how do we prevent this? And how do we prevent new people from getting this? Right. Like a lot of people get squeamish because it's about sex and drugs. Right. And so I think really trying to like have those conversations in a meaningful way or do research yes. on those topics is another huge barrier. <laughs>
0: Yeah, there are some good things that come out of social media. And I think that is maybe one thing is that there are more people talking about things like that. And it, it makes it less uncomfortable. I think for people, it, it's less taboo, you know, to talk about it, people are getting more and more comfortable th- with that sort of thing. And I think that that's a good thing. So there's a, an organization or a, a called Quack Watch. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. It investigates claims. And uh, obviously, you know doctors and that and that sort of thing. But it claims it didn't find any papers published from nineteen ninety nine or before. But there was a book published in two thousand three called German Cancer Therapies that had a whole chapter on IRT, which is the, of course, the what, what he was is is using. The book mentions Dr. Helmut Keller, who was taught by doctor quote, Dr. Sam, who used IRT vaccines and anti serum as standard treatment for most ailments but specifically cancer. So there are also claims in the book, this quote, Dr. Sam is a medical genius who spent no less than $12 million of his own money to develop the therapies. What I found really interesting, this is so fascinating, I didn't really understand it, but apparently there is, rather than using traditional data, because you know, that stuff is so old school, who wants to do that? It's so boring. This book talks about a trial where two of of the so-called Dr. Sam's patients, testified under oath that they had been taking his treatments for years and saw positive effects. So, at the conclusion of the trial, Dr. Sam was awarded over ten million dollars. Their listed sources just say, "quote Get in touch with Dr. Samir Chachawa directly." End quote. So that's a different kind of a clinical trial, don't you think? It's this apparently took place at the year two thousand and where he actually sued Cedar sinai Medical Center for breach of contract because they had lost his cultures. So I feel like he used this whole situation where they, of the quote, loss of, of cultures to his benefit because then he could reference that. So this is a different kind of a, a clinical trial, don't you think, Justin?
1: I mean, when you said trial, I assumed you meant like double blind placebo controlled. I didn't think you were talking about like with a judge and jury. It's kind of the far
0: fetched.
1: (laughs) That would be how you you decided, yeah, this is the medicine I'm going to take. This judge kind of knows, right?
0: When I read it, I thought that was sort of funny. He definitely used that to hit, you know, that whole situation, whether or not they really lost his cultures or what actually happened, he won that trial. And then obviously just used that situation to lend some legitimacy you know, to his theories and and what he was doing, which is really disgusting in my personal opinion, but I digress. So enter Charlie Sheen. Charlie went to Mexico to meet Dr. Sam. And this is very sad because he was looking for obviously some help. He wanted to talk to him about the possibility of seeking treatment for HIV. Part of the treatment required Charlie to stop taking medications that had kept him undetectable, but did give him bad side effects and he was looking, you know, for some alternatives to that. This, the so-called doctor claimed that he treated Charlie in Mexico for two months and that he was the first person on record to ever be cured of HIV, meaning Charlie. Sam claimed that he injected Charlie's blood into himself. Like he literally injected himself with Charlie's blood. He said on the Bill Maher show That he did so to, to, quote, give a sad person in a sad place hope because he had a cure. So while it was on the show, Sam also claimed that he had eradicated AIDS in several countries and that there was a conspiracy to stop his work because it was unconventional. We'll take a moment to hear a word from our sponsor. You guys, a career in nursing is more than just a job. It's a lifelong journey of learning and growing, and professional development is key for any nurse hoping to advance their career. So how about you? Are you ready to take your career to the next level? If so, now is the time for you to get your certification in nursing. Earning your certification is a major professional milestone. It's a seal of approval recognized by professional peers, hiring managers, and patients. It signifies your commitment to excellence, your level of competence, and can make you more marketable in a competitive field, offering 18 different certifications, including 12 specialty certifications. Whether you're looking to earn your first certification, ready to renew or exploring new certifications, they are there to make the entire process as easy, affordable, flexible, and painless as possible. Whatever your practice level or desired specialty, they can help you prepare your exam with a range of affordable tools and resources designed to set you up for success. And their commitment to you goes well beyond the exam. They provide all the ongoing support, advocacy, guidance, and resources that you need throughout your nursing career. This is your career and you deserve the best at ANCC. They're going to be there to help you every step of the way. So visit pages.nursingworld.org forward slash GNBN to learn more. That's pages.nursingworld.org forward slash GNBN. And we'll put that link on our website. If you want to just go to Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, you can click on it from there. Welcome, Leah. I just wanted to chat with you a little bit about your experience with CBD stat. Which product do you actually use? So there's four products,
1: the roll-on, the cream, the salve, and the oil. The two that I use every day are the cream and the oil.
0: What is your biggest benefit? How does it help you?
1: The cream I put on every day after work. I'll shower and then I'll put it on my feet just to help my arches. No more shin splints, just my feet feel more comfortable. And the cream has been a lifesaver there. And then I use the oil to help me sleep So I just switched jobs. I had been working nights for the last eight years. So the oil was huge on helping me come home and actually get quality of sleep throughout the day. And I wake up feeling well-rested and not groggy like some other medications have made me feel in the past.
0: I didn't realize that about the feet. And I have plantar fasciitis, so now I literally cannot wait to get off here and go try that. And then just the sleep benefit, that one is definitely well-known. I hear that a lot in the feedback that I've gotten. As you guys know, Their products are 100% THC-free. CBDStat has a team of engineers that invented a very unique and efficient process to produce CBD isolate, which is the purest form of CBD. They only offer very strong products, greater than 1,000 milligrams. If you guys are interested in CBDStat in their product, you can go to cbdstat. care forward slash good nurse, nurse Be sure and put the forward slash good nurse, bad nurse in there so they know that we sent you there. Cbdstat.care Be sure and put .care instead of com forward slash good nurse, nurse So the countries that he claimed to have worked with had never heard of him when contacted later by Dr. Oz. So Justin, it's really hard for me to really imagine any reputable healthcare professional doing something like this. But then, you know, I do think that there was some, there've been some radical things done by some scientists in the past that actually have led to cures, you know, for diseases hopefully we don't do those things these days, but, I, you know, who knows? But it's not so far-fetched that he would maybe inject someone else's blood into his own veins. Do you think he really believes his theories work so much that he actually did this? Well,
1: I mean, what's really interesting about this is I actually think this guy is pretty smart because we have a lot of science now that says undetectable equals untransmittable, meaning if you have an undetectable viral load, you actually can't get HIV from that person, right? So we know Charlie Sheen had an undetectable viral blood. So like if you injected his blood theoretically with the medicines we have today, you wouldn't get it, right? And then we also have things like pre-exposure prophylaxis. So you take one pill once a day and you can't get HIV, whether you share needles, whether you have unprotected sex. And so I, I actually think this guy probably knows his stuff a little bit and was able to protect himself and continue to s- sort of sell people on this like false hope that he was going to cure them, which is the craziest part of the whole story that this guy literally used his knowledge to take advantage of people.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it. Well, he went from undetectable to detectable with numbers on the rise. He had his blood drawn on air on the Dr. Oz show to prove... That this, you know, had happened and immediately went back to his traditional medicine. Thank goodness. He gave several interviews in addition to the Dr. Oz show to call out Sam's falsehoods and lies. Some people criticized Charlie for giving the quack attention and, and potentially endangering desperate people. But he felt it was necessary so that other people could know what he had gone through and hopefully avoid the situation. Because, I mean, if he fell into this guy's hands, anyone could and... He's trying to prevent this from happening. I would not think this would be positive advertisement for him. You know, at some point it did come out that Sam was using allegedly deri- was derived from arthritic goat milk.
1: But you even get arthritic goat milk, right? Like, where do you even find that? Like, whose idea was that? I don't
0: know. <laughs> How do you find a goat with arthritis? I don't know. I
1: guess they like move funny. I don't know.
0: I know. <laughs> like hold their knee. I don't know. So <laughs> no source that the, that the so-called doctor had published or that has been published in support of him has made that claim about, about that. So it's really kind of unclear where that came from. You know how that stuff goes. It just sort of spreads like wildfire on the internet. But Charlie Sheen sets the record straight on Dr. Oz um, and they shared his story on that show. He refuted Sam's claim that he was there for two months, but rather he says 32 hours in total. Charlie also said that, that the so-called doctor treated him in his home in the United States where he was not licensed to practice. And that's why Charlie's saying that he should be arrested should he step foot in the United States. But it also, he says, it's kind of what made him suspicious suspicious about it. But he said he wanted a cure so badly that he was willing to try and that makes me so sad to think of people being taken advantage of that are in that situation he says he never actually saw sam inject his blood and that he he did think that it was some sort of a sleight of hand trick but now that you're saying that that makes me wonder like maybe he did take his blood before he stopped taking his medications
1: (coughs) I mean, like it's the science is there that could be totally plausible. I think it just reinforces how the actual like real evil genius here that like you Mm -hmm. use that knowledge for such, you know, greed.
0: Well, he was offered a spot on a clinical trial called Pro 140 that is a shot every week. Clinical results to date for multiple trials have shown that this Lamab, I guess is the name of this medication. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, Lamab.
1: Yeah, it's a monoclonal antibody like used for COVID. We have them for HIV now too, which is really cool.
0: That's really cool. It is. I love that. Apparently can significantly reduce viral burden in people infected with HIV with no reported drug-related serious adverse events. That is huge. Yeah,
1: it, Not approved yet. So like we have like preliminary safety data. We do have one monoclonal antibody that is approved for like multidrug resistant HIV. It's called Ibilizumab. And so that that is on the market. We do have patients on that.
0: That's very encouraging to me. And I, I love that we're making all this progress. So this so-called doctor is apparently Maybe still working in Mexico. His website's not active any longer. Twitter Twitter account has been inactive for years. So, you know, he's really irrelevant if his Twitter account is inactive. In fact, that makes me irrelevant because my Twitter account is very inactive. So, <laughs> so Charlie Sheen is healthy and, quote, undetectable now. He is also sober, thank goodness. He recently, back in March, went on. Knocking Doors Down, a sobriety podcast to talk about his life and sobriety. And that medication that we were talking about, Laurent Lamab, has recently shown positive results in mice with breast cancer and was an early candidate for COVID-19 treatment. While there was some early promise, it has since been discarded as a possible treatment. So we'll take a moment to hear a word from our sponsor. So I have to tell you guys about an experience I had with a nursing student. So you know I've been doing travel nursing. Well, this hospital where I'm at has a lot of LPN students doing their clinicals there. Did you know that you don't have to go all across the country to be a travel nurse? You certainly can, but you don't have to. I literally took an assignment that's an hour and a half away from my house, and I love it. I can stay in a hotel room if I want, or I can drive back home. So it's the best of both worlds for me. For my next assignment, we're going to get a cabin in the mountains that's about two hours from our house. So it'll really be like a little getaway. Also, one of my really good friends is going with me so we can share expenses. You guys, even if you're just a little curious about travel nursing, go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there and what they pay. Go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile. So... Our Good Nurse story is about Mary McGee, and Justin, you sent me the story, and I I was so fascinated by this whole thing. There's an, a whole documentary that's done around this award that we're going to talk about, and what a fascinating documentary, and just an amazing person that Mary McGee is. So in 1993- Plus a super easy
1: name for you to say, Tina. Mary McGee, super easy. Exactly. I I try to keep it simple. She's the good (laughs) nurse.
0: Good good nurses always have easy names. (laughs) So I shouldn't say that my name is terrible. So um, (laughs) anyway, so in 1983, she was 24. She was 24 years old. She moved from a small town in New York where she had grown up all the way to San Francisco. She had apparently seen a media buzz around the groundbreaking work in San Francisco at the hospital there that San Francisco General Hospital was doing amidst the AIDS crisis that was going on at the time. And she wanted to be a part of it. I think that this woman is amazing. The hospital opened a dedicated ward for HIV positive patients known as 5B, and Mary began working there. So There were actually a lot of nurses and and other healthcare professionals who refused to be near these patients. They did not want to care for these patients. So this is sounding eerily familiar to COVID patients that I'm taking care of right now. There are many people working in hospitals who will just flat out refuse to go into these rooms. And somehow they're able to still have a job, but I digress. What do you think about this? Should someone working in a hospital... Caring for sick patients be allowed to say no to certain patients out of fear?
1: Obviously, I'm in a certain camp, right? Like based on on the work that I choose (laughs) to do, right? But I I do Mm -hmm. think one thing that as we're sort of laying this out, Mary McGee like ran into the burning building, right? And I think many young nurses, like we saw lots of states change their laws about nursing students and did you take your boards yet or not? I don't care. Get on the ward. We need help. And I think many nurses can relate to this feeling. We're in a healthcare crisis, and we need as many hands on deck as possible. And it's funny to see how certain people run into the fire, and certain people are afraid and run away. And so I try not to put too much, like, I can't believe you won't take care of these patients, because I get it, right? Like If you're like a mom with little kids at home who can't be vaccinated, like, on some level, I get why you wouldn't want to take care of somebody who's potentially infectious, right? I, I do understand the fear, but I think we have to do more education to get people less afraid.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I just wonder, you know, when I'm caring for these patients and I am having to gown up and put on all the PPE and go into these rooms multiple times, you know, several times an hour for 12 hours, three days a week. And then I have a who comes along and says, no, you have to draw the labs because I can't go in there. We, we don't go in there. Like none of them. <laughs> it just it's, you know, you just kind of wonder, like, well, is my life? somehow not as important. Like what, yeah. I don't know. It's it's kind of hard to understand. Well,
1: and you know, I also have done tuberculosis work. I was like the Ebola nurse for a little bit. Like I dealt with all these things and you do feel some kind of way about it, right? Like if you really sit down and think about it, like why am I the expendable one? Here? <laughs> why am I? <laughs> but I've always, I guess a part of me has always gone back to like, this person really needs my help. And
0: mm-hmm. I
1: actually would rather it be me than this person who doesn't want to be in there. Because I do think that some some nurses, some healthcare providers do damage when they let that stigma, that fear sort of inch into the patient care realm. Like if it's an opt-in thing, like I love my patients, right? And my patients love me and love my interactions with them. If you really hate being in that room, the patient is going to know you don't want to be there.
0: You're exactly right. And I definitely see where you're going with this because I just recently was caring for a patient who a part of COVID is one of the things that can happen to these patients is diarrhea. And so it was literally every single hour going in there and helping her. And it wasn't just getting up to the bedside psychomode. It was like, it would be everywhere and cleaning it up. And of course I'm in all the PPE and it's just exhausting. It's hot. It's so miserable. And at at the end of the shift, she just looked up at me. She was so, so sweet, and she said, "I bet you're so you're going to be so glad to get to go home." And I said, "No, ma'am. I love my job. I love being here, and I love taking care of you. I'm, I'm not looking forward to going home at all. And I, I want to be with my family, but..." Trust me, I want to be here, and she smiled so big, and I was just like, "Oh my gosh!" Uh, it's just yeah. <laughs> that's why I do what I do. I love that so much. I love that I had the ability to make her feel better about that situation.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I do think there is something to the opt in. I do. I don't think people should be able to opt out. I think if you're in it to win it, like if you're here to be a good nurse, then I think you should figure it out on your own. But
0: yes, yeah, so I think that it makes it really hard on all of us if we have people on our team that are saying. I'm not going to do that. I think we need a you know a whole team of people. I don't know are they there. I don't know if that's even possible. But it's definitely better we can take better care of people if we have the whole team because I can't do it all. I just you know we we try we do the best we can, but I'm not going to be able to take as good a care of a patient if I'm having to do absolutely everything if i'm taking out the garbage and i'm you know i'm the 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 housekeeper i'm the cna i'm the the phlebotomist i'm literally every single person that would otherwise be going in that room that i can't care for everyone as well
1: and i think you're going to talk about this a little bit but on 5b the word that you worked on you weren't just all the members of this house staff you were also like these people's family because they didn't have a mom they didn't have a dad they were often disowned and so it was this combination of you were everything, and so you were the Swiss Army knife, right? Like you had to do a little bit of everything and be—you had to get it done. And you know, I think that's what makes you know Mary and a lot of those nurses really heroes in many ways.
0: It really does because what happened is. It was open because there were healthcare workers, mostly nurses, that petitioned for a separate AIDS ward at San Francisco General Hospital because they had seen patients being treated inhumanely, like what you were describing there, that someone who didn't want to be there, but maybe were being forced to go in there, maybe that person would not treat that patient the way that they should. And so because of that, they wanted a safe space for these patients to be able to live and and unfortunately die, you know, with dignity. So the ward absolutely revolutionized care and for these patients and their families and partners included, could have unrestricted access, parties were regularly thrown, and doctors and nurses didn't wear the spacesuit PPE that had become normal, despite... No known viral transmission through the air had actually occurred. I mean, they didn't have any reason to believe this was an airborne virus, but people were just being, you know, ridiculous about it. Well,
1: and I mean, some of that still persists today, right? Like the nurse who says, put on gloves, C S H I V And you're like, I'm not going to have sex with him. I'm going to take his blood pressure.
0: And the sad thing about this is if you're a nurse, you should have taken microbiology and should that shouldn't even be a problem, right. but... Many medical professionals believed that those who worked on the ward would eventually contract HIV and AIDS and die because they just didn't know about it. I guess there were a lot of naysayers or a lot of people who questioned the, quote, evidence, you know, that was there and just didn't trust it. So they were just afraid and just just didn't want to have anything to do with it at all. So Mary was the youngest nurse on this ward. She made the statement that she was allowed to love her patients on the 5B documentary where she was interviewed. To her, that meant utilizing the human element that a lot of times she was discouraged from using as a nurse. So I think sometimes in our day-to-day nursing, just caring for regular patients, sometimes there's a disconnect there that we are even encouraged to do. Like what Mary was saying was sometimes just being a nurse, it's like, you know, keep that professional wall up between you and the patient. And I think what she's saying is that she didn't have to do that as much with these people because she wanted to connect with them. She didn't want them to feel like they were alone. She said we could not fix people's disease with AIDS. We couldn't cure them There was really this emphasis on decreasing suffering. You used every tool you had, including the human person. There were people who didn't have their families. They had experienced a lot of discrimination. There was tons of fear mongering and stigma in the press. And so one of the tools you used was your own human presence and heart. When somebody is dying, you pull out a few stops that you may not. If you're working in an ambulatory surgery department, you let yourself cry with people and be human with people and their loved ones. And that's, that was a direct quote from her from that interview that I thought was just so touching. She's just such a, a precious person. So one of the things that happened, and of course, I know everything that we've said up to this point has been like, you know, you're crazy if you're worried about organizing these people and then I'm, what I'm about to say. But this could happen literally. The, the thing is, it could happen with anything, right? So there's always a risk involved when you're caring for people. She did accidentally stick herself with a patient's needle when she was changing out their IV line. And so apparently she was about an hour away from finishing a 12-hour shift. She was on nights. She was tired and stabbed the, the used needle through an IV bag and into her hand. So six weeks later, she tested positive for HIV. And at the time, there were only a handful of known cases. So over the next decade, she fought along with the nurses union to get safer needles in hospitals so during all of that she maintained two identities mary mcgee the advocate and jane doe the first medical staff with hiv she obviously and such a, a brave person for everything that she did but you know to continue to fight and advocate after this happened just really illuminates her character and strength and i just love that she went after the hospitals and administration for better safety measures. By the way, have you ever been stuck by a dirty needle? Uh,
1: yes. I think every nurse has been stuck by a needle. I like when I started, we used to make jokes that that was like a rite of passage, right? But I think we're much less scared now, right? Because we know we have things like post-exposure prophylaxis. We have things like prep that, like I was on when I had my first needle stick. One of the things about the story that is so fascinating to me is that I didn't know who Mary Mickey was until probably like five to 10 years ago, because she didn't come out. She was Jane Doe. And so there was this woman who really didn't want the ward to get closed down because of her needle stick. That is what I think is so powerful about the story is as someone who contracted the virus and then had to live with that stigma, she knew it. that meant she didn't want it to affect the patients that she loved, right? Like I think that's like the the most fascinating sort of hate in the gut kind of part of the story, right?
0: Yeah, she's such a selfless person because she definitely looked at that and just went, oh, wow, if this gets out, it's just going to feed into that fear and that stigma. And she did everything that she could to prevent that, which I think is just amazing. She remained a nurse working in the AIDS ward for a few more years before she transferred to labor and delivery. So by the early 90s, antiretrovirals were available and she fortunately survived long enough to have access to them And then began working at the Empress Hotel for people living with HIV and AIDS. She literally spent her whole life doing this. This was her life work. I think it's just wonderful. It's amazing. It just really does tell how much of an amazing person, a selfless person, and a courageous person that she really was. In 2011, she did publicly announce her status for the first time. A couple of decades, you know, had passed. And I think that she felt like she could use it to help educate people. I think that people realized as time went on that this is a disease that affects a lot of different people for a lot of different reasons and that it's important to try to prevent infection and then also try to find a cure. You know, those are the two things. It's not to try to stigmatize an entire population of people. I just love that about her.
1: Yeah. I mean, she's like literally one of those great equalizer people, right? Like, She is like, you're a nurse. Like she doesn't fit the demographics that we talk about all the time. She's still very open about it. And I think that that's what's really powerful is that it it makes it real for people who otherwise don't think they have any risk, right? It could never be me is so often what we hear. And I think Mary sort of tells us, well, it could be you and it could be you, like it could be your mom, your cousin, your auntie. And, you know, our job is to take care of people no matter what's going on.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, In an interview with Yahoo in 2019, she said that she hopes the younger generation is inspired to stand up for people based on the stories of 5B. She explains that AIDS and homophobia are still very present in our modern society, and it's important to make good choices. During every opportunity she has had to speak about her experience, she has continued to raise awareness for HIV, reminding people that it's still out there and that there is still no cure. She also talks about the continued stigma and homophobia that often accompany a diagnosis. Even just the past couple of years, I feel like we've made a lot of progress in this area, a lot of progress.
1: You know, I think we've made huge strides. I think things like PrEP and things like knowing that undetectable is untransmittable are huge. And mm-hmm. we actually do have a lot of tools to really curb this epidemic. It's like when we got the vaccine for COVID and we we're like, oh my God, we can stop it, right? we have that kind of hope. And now it's the same thing with like the COVID vaccine. We're like, okay, but are people going to do what we need them to do? <laughs> are we going to be able to get vaccines shots in arms? Are we going to be able to get people on PrEP and taking their HIV medicines? Because that really is the next hurdle to overcome here.
0: Yes. And it does amaze me that there are so many people who would rather risk being infected and making someone else sick or just continuing with this pandemic but i understand that people are afraid i understand it it's just that to not be afraid of the disease is what i don't understand because it seems like there's people there are so many people that are afraid of the vaccine and not at all afraid of the disease i don't understand that whatsoever i can understand fear that I, i get i don't understand like going out in large crowds and not wearing masks and just doing all these crazy things but then being afraid of a vaccine, like, and maybe even what, let's say, vaping or smoking and all of the other things that they put in their bodies and then, but they're afraid of a vaccine that's literally been proven.
1: I think it goes back to the bad doctor story, though, where I said, like, we're really bad marketers. Like, we have some very smart science people who are really bad at talking to people, right? And I think, like, nurses are so good at talking to people. That's, like, what we do, right? Like, we explain what your doctor just said to you for an hour because you didn't understand it. And so I think that really is where us as nurses have to do a little bit of a better job to say like, did you know you equals you? Did you know that was a thing? Did you know PrEP is here? Did you know I took the vaccine and here's my reasons why? Because I think if, if nurses don't do that, nobody else is going
0: to. Yeah. That's a that's an excellent point, Justin. Well, this has been a really excellent show. I've really enjoyed this been very informative and very interesting. And I love all the conversation. Can you tell everyone where they can find information on DKB Med?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you can go to dkbmed.com. There's HIV stuff, but there's also other stuff. So if you're looking at other health conditions, if you're like, I'm not an HIV nurse, but maybe I want to learn about multiple sclerosis, like there's something for you. So take a peek, see what sort of strikes your fancy.
0: And you guys know you can find me at goodnursebadnurse.com and you can email me at at tinaatgoodnursebadnurse.com. And find us on instagram at good nurse, bad nurse or facebook and twitter very minimally at gnp and podcast you guys would know i love hearing from you so send me your messages and your emails and and i'd also like to remind you guys that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy be a good nurse
1: love that thanks for having me too